your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. In the studio with me is Katrina Shanklin. She is a state assembly rep, a Wisconsin state assembly rep. She represents the Stevens Point area, a Democrat. Um, and then I didn't write down the district that you're in. What district? The 71st Assembly District. And when I say, and then pull that real close, when I say Stevens Point area, is it like what? Stevens Point, Plover? Yes, Amherst, Rochelle. It's the majority of Portage County. Okay, and I'll just say I went to UW-Stevens Point. I My nephew is going there right now. He is about to start student teaching, so we can get into this. You have like a giant bunch of bills, right? In, in terms, are they your bills or are they, so you have yeah. a, a bunch of UW or, or yes. state state college bills that w- would really just, I'm just going to make this show about me and my nephew and how he can better his, uh, his, his teaching career going forward. Absolutely. Well, it's called reaching higher for higher education. Yes. I drafted all the bills and put them together into one bill package and worked with colleagues to introduce them just this week. And okay. And we can get into the nitty gritty, but I, I like, I just want to set that up a little bit and just say, Hey, by the way, I'm from Stevens point Katrina. Awesome. Um, but uh, you know what? And I'm burying it. You're running for us house. So you will no longer be in the, in the state assembly, right? That's that how that works. Correct. You got to, You had to pick. Yes, absolutely. And if uh, people don't know, and I'm talking about Stevens Point, which is way in the middle of the state, and I'm pointing as if um, the the third congressional district, or what I like to say, the third U.S. House district, is uh, it just encapsula- encapsulates a lot of the UW schools. It's a gerrymandered district. It might change by the time uh, you're running, right? The, no, the, the 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 congressional districts are the same. The state ones, but could change. Right. That so, the only challenge is the state legislative maps. Yeah. So when what I like to say is. Stevens Point is the bicep, like it goes over. It's it's kind of a bad analogy because it'd be more of a tricep. It goes over and grabs Stevens Point as it as it misses everything in between, mm-hmm. uh, to just grab the quote unquote Democrats from the the college because that's how we pit people now. Is Democrats go to college and Republicans don't? It's a stupid analogy or a stupid way that we think about this stuff. I don't know what you think. Yeah, so the 3rd Congressional District is very large. It's 19 counties, and you're right. It, uh, Portage County and part of Wood County are the furthest east in the Congressional District. And so I've been coming to La Crosse and Eau Claire and all the surrounding areas, whether we're talking Menominee or Black River Falls or Viroqua as much as I can, and looking forward to continuing traveling across the 3rd Congressional District. Yeah, you, you've decided that you're going to just put a lot of miles on your car. And I'm not going to run for so, state. I'm going to run for federal U.S. Yeah, House and put a lot of miles in my car. Very funny story. Just, I think, two weeks ago now, I was driving my 2005 car, and I discovered that that make and model does not go beyond 299,999. So I maxed out my odometer. Oh, really? Um, so, yeah. I, Are you back to zero then, or is it No, electronic? it just it stays at 299,999. Oh, so it's scheduled an oil change, and I'm just using the trip meter to make sure I don't go over. Oh, but uh, it's an interesting situation. That's like a Y2K thing. Remember Y2K? Yes, we were I all do. worried about our computers not being able to flip to the... Yeah. It, it's a weird... Yeah, that's funny. Um, okay, so let me look here. Look at the clock. Okay. Um, obviously you're one of, maybe not obviously, she's one of, Katrina is one of four Democrats running to maybe go against Derek Van Orden, or maybe if the, another Republican decides to jump in the race, I, d- I doubt it, it'll happen, but, uh, you're one, you're one of four Democrats running for the third congressional district. Um, and, and why, why did you decide, okay, I'm going to jump ship from a decade, right? A decade in the assembly. Yeah. I just, uh, I'm to, finishing up my 11th year in the state assembly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So why, why the, why the switch? 
So I have always believed that when you see something wrong, instead of just complaining about it, you need to do something about it. My parents taught me that at a very young age. They were both teachers, and I always had something to say. You know, I would see litter on the side of the road or in a creek, and it would bother me, and my mom would say, well, why don't we go pick it up? So in this case, um, I believe in good government. I believe in strong representation, and I want my members of Congress and my leaders in the state to get things done for all of us and to solve problems, not create problems problems. Since day one, we have seen our congressman, Derek Van Orden, be more of a problem creator than problem solver. And in in this case, I believe we need an experienced candidate who has a long track record of delivering results for the people of Wisconsin to take him on and to restore strong representation to the third congressional district because this district has a long legacy of thoughtful and fair-minded representation. Okay, so when when you say you have a strong record of getting things done, I was my ne- before you said that my next question was going to be, and I was like, well, this is going to be contrary to what she says. Is I was like, are you going to run for U.S. House because in the state assembly you're part of a gerrymandered uh, side of politics that you don't get to have a whole lot of say. You have to, you know, appease the Republicans to even get bills to committee. So there's like, you know what, in the U.S. House, I might actually have a say in the government because the the differentiation between, you know, Republicans and Democrats is closer. So the uh, Democrats might even be able to control the House. So then you would actually have a say in some government where in Wisconsin uh, with the gerrymandered district, you'd probably like, oh, wow, I really have to work harder to even get something to committee. I have to move my name further down the list. So in many, many cases, the bills that I've gotten passed and signed into law, my name might be third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh, but I might have drafted the entire bill, done the research on it, gotten organizations to endorse the bill. Um, I'll testify in committee, write a column that'll get all the bill co-authors and co-sponsors to put their names on. And that's what it takes sometimes to work across, uh, party lines this in order like a, to get this things is like done. a school project right like you do all yes. the work and then somebody else takes all the credit or gets at least gets their name on the thing and they yeah. didn't do any of the work no offense to the other people on certain bills that you're but yeah. hey no, i wrote know. this bill up and then can you put your name <laughs> on it so that yeah. we can get it to a committee they know how it works and they are very familiar with it so often i will be fourth on a bill testifying with the author who is first on the bill and it's because i wrote the bill right so i'm willing to do what it takes to get results and i think my track record in the state assembly shows it so in my 11 years Um, As of yesterday, I have gotten 179 bills signed into law that I've either co-authored, authored, or co-sponsored. And I think that says a lot about my ability to work across the aisle, even in tough circumstances. I think the majority of people in Wisconsin would probably agree that um, the state legislature has been fairly dysfunctional. And I think we've seen similar results in the U.S. House right now. And I believe as a result, Uh, Republicans will not be in control of the House next year. And I think that's good for our democracy. And it's good for people who want problem solvers in office because um, it is very clear without a long-term five-year farm bill passed yet, um, they only have a short-term one. And without long-term government funding, we only have multiple continuing resolutions that go through January and February, depending on which agencies we're talking about. Kicking the can bills. Exactly. And so that really underscores the need to have people in the room who have worked under these tough circumstances, negotiated in good faith, held the line on our Wisconsin values, and still have been able to get things done. Katrina Shanklin is a Wisconsin Assembly rep right now. We might 
poker or poker brain, picker brain, picker brain uh, at some of the stuff going on in the state. But she's running for the third congressional district or what I like to say, the third U.S. House district uh, here that contains lacrosse and, you know, pretty much every UW school on the side in the middle of the state as well. Uh, but we got to take a break. We'll be back after this. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. In the studio with me is Katrina Shanklin. She is a state rep, a state assembly rep, a Democrat out of the Stevens Point area, but she is not going to be that in a year-ish from now, right? Like, you've made the jump, at least uh, to try to make the jump to the U.S. House of Representatives. You're going to... You're one of four Democrats running right now and and possibly running against Republican Derek Van Orden. Do you ever think about like, okay, if I don't win, I'm going to have to get a job. (laughs) You ever think about that? Or do you just like, I'm not going to think about it until next year. I would say every single day I'm focused on, first of all, I'm a legislator. So delivering results and solving problems for my constituents, working families and seniors. And then secondly, winning this campaign. And so traveling all over the third, meeting with people, having informal coffees, we're calling them coffee with Katrina, all over the third. The most recent one was in Black River Falls. We're heading to Menominee uh, this weekend and just listening to people and really helping um, not only define the issues of the campaign by hearing folks' stories, but also trying to shine a light on my opponent, Derek Van Orden, and what he's not doing in Congress. Um, and okay, so you're one of four Democrats running to go against Van Orden, and, and we can we can poke fun at Derek Van Orden, or we can just pick on him, or however you want to, or, or talk about what he is or isn't doing in the in the House. But how do you differentiate yourself from Tara Johnson, from Eric Wilson, and from Rebecca Cook, the other Democrats in this race, to go, you know what, I I stand out here above above those three? Sure. So I'm a state legislator, and I'm just finishing up my 11th year in the Wisconsin State Assembly. I have served as assistant minority leader and um, currently am the youngest ever woman to have served as assistant leader in Wisconsin Assembly history. Um, in addition to that, I served on the budget committee. I co-chaired a water quality task force that got many different bills accomplished, passed, signed into law through the budget and a standalone to really protect our water quality. And in addition, I've co-sponsored and co-authored over 170 bills that have been signed into law. And I think that ability to work and get things done is really critical to not only being ready to serve on day one when I get to Congress, but also to challenging a sitting member of Congress who really isn't delivering, who hasn't gotten us a long-term farm bill, who hasn't been pushing for long-term results as it relates to uh, a fair budget and um, good government funding that will give everyone certainty, whether it's seniors or veterans. And I think that that contrast is the sharpest because of my experience. In addition, my electoral results are really important. This is a purple district. So Donald Trump has won this district, but so has Tony Evers. And most recently, Janet Protasiewicz won big in the 3rd Congressional District. So this district is primarily comprised of independents and moderates. And I think knowing that I have a track record of getting people who aren't just Democrats to vote for me and that I've outperformed the top of the ticket in every election is very helpful and instructive to this conversation because we need a candidate who doesn't just turn out Democrats to flip a district, right? If it's a purple district, we need people who can bridge build and who can bring in those folks who want to work together on standing up to extremism to protect our democracy, securing our voter rights, and ensuring um, reproductive freedom. And that's me. 
What is the learning curve? Because you've been in the state assembly for now. This is you said your eleventh year, and you you got into this. I'm gonna I'm gonna age you now because you got into this at the age of 26, right? I think 25. I 26? was I was 24 when I put my name on the ballot and turned okay. 25 right before the primary, and I'm 36 now. Yeah. So, and I wasn't gonna go there, but you said your age. I was just yeah. gonna make people do the math. But the learning curve, because I, Tara Johnson has been the chair of the Lacrosse County Board. She's been in you know local government here, um, and. I don't believe Rebecca Cook's been running for the U.S. House now for two years, right? Like, so she's been running for it. And then Eric Wilson's kind of a, a newcomer, so I don't think he has much experience in government. But um, does it take somebody to have? Because I, I feel like sometimes I'm like, hey, you need to, to start at the bottom and work your way up. You know, start at the city council, the county board, and then maybe go to the state, and then maybe go to the U.S. House. But I don't know. Like, you've you jumped right to... I don't know your. I don't. I'm guessing you weren't on a city council or county board before you ran for state assembly. But just when you get into the state assembly, the learning curve there and like, oh my god, I have to what? Well, how does government work? I would say most members of the legislature do take a few years, if not longer, depending on the individual and how many hours that they're putting in to learn to really understand how our state government works, what the environmental management account is, for example, what seg fees are versus other kinds and what GPR means, right? There's yeah, a whole lingo. Exactly. You said there. And that's, it, it's, it sounds like a foreign language, right. right? But it's really basic when it comes to what kind of money we're talking about, whether it's our general purpose revenue or tax dollars that we collect versus a segregated fund that's held in trust. So there's lots of different things that you learn over time. And I would say, um, before I was in office, I worked at a nonprofit. I managed, helped manage what was called at the time the Midwest Solar Training Network, and I was building solar training capacity in the Midwest. So I have some renewable energy experience, um, but I then was an organizer. And so I really learned not only how to organize in rural communities, I was an organizer in Wood County, Portage County, Western Marathon County, and Clark County. And that was for, you know, that was the Democratic Party. So I was learning a lot about how to organize on issues in a highly rural county that's fairly red, like Clark County, for example. Mm -hmm. And so I learned how to listen just as importantly as how to speak with folks in rural communities. And I would say that that skill set is one that I have honed in the last 11 years in the state assembly. It isn't just about introducing bills. Anyone can do that. It's about getting them done. And really what that means is listening to people and building consensus. And oftentimes it takes years. You know, I have a bipartisan birth control bill that I first introduced in 2015 and worked really hard to make bipartisan. And every year I get more and more folks on board and I think eventually it'll be signed into law. And that bill would let people pick up their uh, contraceptive prescription at a pharmacy and get 12 months in one go, as long as it's the kind that doesn't expire, like birth control. And I think that that's really helpful. Um, and many people, every time I introduce it, say how excited they are that I'm introducing it and hope it becomes law someday. But I think you need someone with an, an attitude that is optimistic and persistent. And that's how I have been able to get uh, bipartisan support for things that originally didn't have it. Another example that I have, the Hmong community is very important to central Wisconsin and western Wisconsin, and as well as the fabric of our entire state. And we do not have any required Hmong instruction in our public schools. And so I've been working for the past 11 years to make that happen. And in 2017, I took over as the lead author from a colleague 
specifically because I wanted to organize on the issue and I had wanted to do outreach with it. And now we have the most bipartisan co-sponsors ever. We have more Republicans in both houses than ever before because I started organizing on that issue and bringing, trying to bring my colleagues across the aisle in because I know we need to get this done. So for the first time ever in May earlier this year, this bill finally got a public hearing and we had hours and hours of testimony that were emotional and powerful and it was the best public hearing I've ever attended and the bill passed unanimously through the education committee and the assembly and we finally made a step forward but it speaks to how so many times when you're working in government um, you need to have a strategy that extends far beyond that two-year period, the biennium, that every lawmaker, regardless of if they're in the Senate or Assembly, operates under when it comes to the budget and just the session in general. Our lives are very cyclical. But you have to have patience. You have to have the ability to speak with anyone and to bring people in, even when you may agree with them on some issues and vehemently disagree with them on others. It's important to have that ability um, to work with anyone because we have 132 legislators. When you go to the House, that increases by a significant factor, right? So we, um, I would say my experience isn't just about getting things done. It's also about knowing how to get things done. And not everyone in the Capitol has the attitude and approach that I have. Some people will throw out bills without ever organizing on them or talking about them. And they just put it out, get a bill number and let it sit there, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to get things done, you have to have a strategy in place and the ability to work with everyone. Well, if the bill's crazy enough, it it won't sit there. The media (laughs) will pick it up because it's crazy. That's true. We'll do that. But when you talk about the the Hmong bill, how many years did you have to work on that? So I... Hmong history bill, Yeah, I first took over in... I would say three sessions ago, but I've had, I've been a co-sponsor of the bill and have talked about it and gotten my school board to pass a resolution on it since I was first in office in 2013. Mm -hmm. So it depends on how many years you count me being on the bill. I would say, you know, the 11 years, but if you look at where my name is on the bill, I think it's either fourth or fifth right now, but I, you know, drafted the bill, did the research, found the endorsements. And it finally passed the assembly or? the assembly committee Committee, on education. Right. So this is like, is that frustrating? Because then you talk about your contraceptive bill that you've been working on since 2015 and it's it's not a it's not there yet. So yeah. like all it, you're trying to get these. It's like baby steps, like that movie. What about Bob? Baby steps. I don't know. That's a pretty old reference now, but um, I don't know. That's got to be like a. You got to feel good about like that getting to committee, but b. Also, got to be frustrated by like, hey, this is a kind of a no brainer. This one, especially among history, this is kind of a no brainer. We should be doing this. And then, oh, wait, it's taking years. Absolutely. And look, I never have just one strategy. So one of the things that I did was I asked our school boards to pass resolutions in support of it, and they did. And then locally, the Stevens Point Area Public School District decided to begin teaching Hmong history and culture in their schools anyway, even though it's not required. And so I think the more momentum we build and the more we organize and educate on issues, the better long-term victories we have and the stronger the chance of success. But what I do is I celebrate each small victory and keep building to get more done. And I try to have a plan for each bill and just continue to grow co-sponsors with each year that I'm in office. And that's something that I, you know, I have a plan for when I'm gone as well. I, I'm I, well, that was my next question. Yeah. You're, you're done in a year because you won't be in the state assembly anymore. So these are your babies as I'm going to make that analogy. Do you have like, oh, I got to give, I got to give my baby to Jill Billings or somebody like that, or, you know, like, so that they can continue this effort. Absolutely. I've already had conversations with folks in both parties about the bills where we've been organizing on for years, trying to get 
pushes for bills that we've gotten. I have multiple bills right now that we pass unanimously through assembly committees that haven't been scheduled for a floor vote and others that have already passed the full state Senate but haven't come to the assembly yet. So trying to get those done and really pushing hard and then developing a plan with the other folks who are involved with the bill to make sure that they will continue the work. Katrina, also, you guys work like three months next year and then you're done for the year. So me and Steve Doyle talk about this all the time. Like you have three months in session and that's that's it. Then we're done taking a vacation. Not really. But like my I'm I'm not going to get into it. But the idea that the assembly or the, the legislature ends their term or their session in like March or April to go campaign, essentially, like if like you don't you don't need to do anything for the state after that because you're not here the next year. You know what I mean? Well, not that you wouldn't, yeah, but you don't right. have to. And this is what I tell everyone is technically we're done, but the good legislators keep working every day. Right. We the amount of casework that we do. And yeah. this is something that is often not spoken about publicly, but that constituents who call in know. Um, if you are having issues with state government, sometimes it's, you know, the Department of Revenue, they, they owe you something and they haven't gotten back to you or a DSPS credential, whatever it is. Our offices are the primary liaison between state agencies for our constituents and we can advocate for them. We can help um, when somebody feels that a medical bill that they were charged is completely incorrect and they try to dispute it already with the insurance company and they won't take it, we can help them get the paperwork needed to file with OCI. There are so many different ways that a state legislative office can help, and I'm very hands-on. Um, in my district, I'm known as the person who helps whoever needs it. And so what what happens is, you know, I'm the only Democrat in central Wisconsin, so I get calls from all over central Wisconsin. And lately I've been getting calls from the Fox Valley as well where people are like, hey, someone right. gave me your number and well, said, my dad, you can help. <laughs> yeah, my dad had to do this with, like, the burn pit bill. In, oh, in the, the Senate. Pact Act? So my dad was part of that. And then, you know, so first he called Ron Johnson and Ron Johnson said, you could figure it out. Then he called Tammy Baldwin and Tammy Baldwin said, we'll on that. And then the next day, Tammy Baldwin's people were like on the phone with my dad trying to get that. And it did get done there. But uh, that's why I'm like anti Ron Johnson a little bit, just based <laughs> on based on that. But anyway, we're going to take a, a, another break. We'll be back with Katrina Shanklin, who's running for the third U.S. House District here in the state of Wisconsin. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. I'm Rick Sol. I'm in the studio with me. She didn't know she was going to hang out for the whole hour, but uh, I, I told her she can't leave. Katrina Shanklin is is running for Congress, running for the U.S. House of Representatives here in the 3rd District. She's a state assembly rep as well, and I like to call what you guys just did or what maybe you're doing or what Governor Evers did yesterday a cram session as you wait until the end of the session and then you pass 200 bills and the media can grab like two or three of them and we could talk about two or three of them and then the rest go under the radar, whether they're good or bad. I don't I don't know. Usually, you know, if you have a Republican legislature and a Democratic governor, he's going to veto some, which will make the right mad and he's going to pass some, which will make everybody mad because those were bipartisan bills. That's how this works. <laughs> um, the Brewers one got a lot of attention and I was mad about that because it's just I, I'm kind of anti giving, um, quote unquote, billionaire owners uh, sports stadiums. Okay, I'll just float this idea. Did you guys ever talk about just giving the Brewers their stadium for a dollar? Here's a dollar. Here, sell it to you for a dollar. Then you guys can do what you want with it. You know and then what? and then they're here. You know what? <laughs> I think that's the, part of what was difficult is we do have, uh, we do own the stadium right. and we're contractually obligated to maintain it. And I think once legislators who were invited to tour it saw the repairs that were necessary, it was clear that 
when there's a contractual obligation, first of all, the state has to fulfill it. Well, even if the brewers leave, then you you got to figure you have to update it anyway or exactly. sell it. And yeah. who's going to buy that? And then the cost is even worse because right. in addition to the lost tax revenue, we're looking at over $10 million yeah. a, a year, I think. About $13 million was the estimation. I also think it's important to look at the deal itself in that, you know, it, the the dollars are not coming from your and my taxpayer money. They're actually coming from the income tax that the players and employees within the Brewers District are paying. Mm. So it is good to know that you and I are not paying those taxes. Do you, do you like the, the added cost for non-baseball events? Like we're just taxing people to go to a concert now, which I'm... I understand it makes a little bit of revenue for the stadium, but also like, okay, well, it's I get mad at Ticketmaster for charging, you know, seven dollars for the Ticketmaster fee. Right. Well, now, now we're doing a, a Milwaukee Brewers fee on top of that, so to speak. Yeah, I hear you, and I think that is phased in over time. What I most appreciated was the fact that taxpayers are not paying, and it's really what essentially is a user fee, where those who attend or who work for the brewers are paying through either that user fee or through their um, income tax. And then secondly, there is a component that is less talked about that the county's association was strongly in support of. And as someone who represents a rural county and um, spoke with my county sheriff, my county executive and county board chair, they all really strongly supported that component of it, which was um, to pay for part of the Milwaukee deal. There was a little known component. DOR takes a certain percentage um, as like an administrative fee when they collect the sales tax um, from each county. Mm -hmm. And they decided to expand that um, I guess, discount of the fee to all counties in the state. So everyone would benefit from that. And in the case of Portage County, I think that was an additional $100,000 a year, which, you know, when you are cash strapped, that makes a big difference in the long run. So yeah, we I talk will... about it all the time, how the yeah. county and the city are, are making cuts to, yeah. to kind of hold out. City especially, because the city doesn't isn't funded the same way as the county. Um, and you're getting, too, you're getting so in the weeds that people are going to be like, oh my God, what? This is, yeah. this is the problem with like, uh, politics in general is if you want to you want to break down how a thing works. A, you need all day. B, you got to get really yeah. in the weeds. Or you could just say you know they're banning a thing or something. Right. And then, like we could well, talk, that's you know. very true. But, but I would say in my case, I I could translate it pretty easily. My yeah. county said this is going to translate to a drug enforcement officer for us to keep fentanyl and meth out of the hands of folks. And right. I think that was a significant need that our county recognized, and so that was pretty clear. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, besides that, the Brewers bill got a lot of attention. We've talked about it a lot, quite, quite a bit on, on my show as well. Um, but but the governor signed, what, dozens of bills yesterday and, and vetoed a couple. And um, But what what one do you think? Can you pick one and go, it went under the radar, but is also like super important that nobody's going to talk about or, or not yes. many people are going to talk about? Yes, I would love to talk about the Farmland Preservation Program in Wisconsin. We have an incredible program that helps farmers um, with best conservation practices and ensuring that they're protecting their soil health and water quality. And in exchange, when they put that land, that acreage into the, the contract with the state, um, they get dollars per acre in tax credits. And that program has not been updated in decades um, in terms of adjusting to inflation and increasing the tax credits. And so I worked across the aisle as a member of the Agriculture Committee to introduce and pass this bill and was really excited to be there yesterday. All the farm groups were there. And really, this translates into more money in farmers' pockets and is, better is soil. The, and 
Is, sorry, is this the clip where one of the the state reps asks the committee, "Hey, why why is the the private school funding adjusted for inflation and not the farm?" We played Correct. this clip on the air, and then yes. it's like, so when we play this clip on the air, it's thirty seconds or yeah, longer, like thirty-seven seconds, thirty-seven yeah. seconds Something of like nobody talking about why the farmers are getting duped and the the private school uh, schools are getting inflation reactionary money. And um, so when we play that clip, I have to talk in the middle of it. Otherwise, our buzzer goes by because every 10 seconds, if there's 10 seconds of silence. So three different times I have to interrupt the silent clip to talk about it. But, yeah, that that we, we've talked about that, the idea that nobody defended the farmers in that like right, and that's a is is that like re- we want Republicans to speak up there because that's we, their thing, right? Absolutely. So this bill was introduced with the inflation adjusted tax credits, and in order to get it through the Senate, is my understanding, it had to be amended to take out inflation, and that's disappointing. That being said, I think we felt strongly that it was better to get more money in farmers' pockets and to lower the contract. Um, the original contract is 15 years, and Dak kept did a survey in 2018 that that was just farmers felt it, the hurdle was too high to even start, so why bother? And so we did lower it. But um, inflationary adjustments, you're absolutely right. You know, the the budget committee, because that was a joint finance committee, had a was supposed to have a debate about that, and they just chose not to answer, which is really too bad. Yeah, and the joint finance committee is 12 people. Is it it is Republicans and four Democrats? Yes, that's right. correct. Okay, um, I just like to, to throw that out there. It's just it's like very skewed a little bit, just based on how our legislature is. Um, okay, so let's go from that state farming thing mm-hmm. to now you're running for U.S. House. You, if you're in the U.S. House next year, you will have to deal with a five year farm plan Absolutely. because uh, Republicans who control the House right now just kick the can down the road. So you get to like kind of figure out, okay, how are we going to do a farm bill next year? Because Republicans couldn't get one done, knowing that it expires every five years and that they were going to inherit this. But now the the farm bill is coming up. Uh, if I'm in the U.S. House next year, what what do you what do you see with the farm bill? I mean, are you thinking about that? Are you looking at details and what farmers want in that farm bill? Absolutely. So I actually attended an event in La Crosse specifically to have a conversation with the U.S. House Chair of the Agriculture Committee to talk about the Farm Bill. And as somebody who works on agriculture issues and serves on the Agriculture Committee, this is really important to me. I think, number one, we need a five-year Farm Bill, not a one-year Farm Bill. And I don't see the urgency from House Republicans that is needed here. Um, And number two, there's a lot of things for dairy farmers specifically that are really important in the Farm Bill. Um, so we can talk about the dairy product price support program and the dairy cliff if, if you want, but really what it does is it helps farmers. It guarantees a minimum price for milk. And if we don't pass a five-year farm bill, it actually reverts back to about yeah, milk will be like 10 bucks a gallon or something years like that, ago. Right? Yeah. So I think it's 1949. And so I felt I felt itchy during the pandemic. I would buy milk for a dollar a gallon. I felt itchy about it. I was like, "Why isn't milk just two dollars or three dollars a gallon? What it usually is? Uh, this is weird. I don't feel great about it." But okay, I'm going to drink a lot of milk. Yeah. You so, know, so, so does that change anything? Because you said set a minimum for the price okay, of milk. But so let me try to explain this a little bit here. <laughs> um, so the support price—that's the minimum price of milk. That's what's set in the farm bill. Yeah. And what we need to do if they do not. Let's say end of next year, they do not pass a five-year farm bill. Well, we're not doing it, right? Like we're not. Go- we're, that's not happening. 
Well, I should. Oh, no, no, wait. It is happening. They, they, they've set the deadline for right before the election. That's right. You might not get this. They might, they might kick the can or, down the road. Or, that's what I was going to say. They might do, let's do two months. Let's do three yeah. months. Let's do five months. Well, and this I is, think- and when I had the Farmers Union president on, I'll just throw this out there. This was what was kind of interesting is they kicked the can down the road for a year, that, which would end up in their election cycle. I said, this isn't the worst thing to kick the can down the road because they, they come into Congress and they're all, some of them are rookies and they have to kind of figure out, oh, what is a five-year farm bill? Okay. what And then- well, we need another year to think about it because we're only here for every two years. Well, now they're in campaign season. So you really can go after who's in the U.S. House of Representatives right now to get some of this stuff passed, right? Absolutely. And we should. I think we all know how much money they're making for barely doing anything as it relates to long-term funding solutions for our government. And instead, we're seeing elected officials throwing wrenches into things. Just the other day, Derek Van Orden voted to keep George Santos in the House after committing a number of very corrupt crimes. And I think if he's going to spend his energy and time on that, he owes an us all an explanation because when it comes to the farm bill and specifically dairy farmers and making sure they're getting fair pay uh, when, it, when it comes to milk prices, I think that he needs to be taking a leadership role knowing that the people of the third are working incredibly hard and shouldn't have to beg him every day to be working on a five-year farm bill plan. Um, yeah, the the kicking, not kicking George Santos. I will say the Senate needs to kick Bob Menendez out of the Senate as well. I mean, that's apples to oranges. Democrats in the in the Senate could could do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and then just, I mean, what do you, when you look at? So a problem I have with all these candidates, all you candidates running for the U.S. House is, do you need to like specifically? George Santos is the easy one because he's been in the headlines. Do you need to point out specifically about what some things the U.S. House is doing right now and go, hey, this is what they're doing. And if I was in the U.S. House, this is how I think our priorities should be. Because, I I mean, we can just go uh, inflation, right? Like inflation is a big thing. And um, is the U.S. House doing anything right now to to battle inflation? When Democrats had it a year or whatever ago, um, there was a lot of bills to like to hone in gas prices, to hone in. Um, you know, just everyday items. Bags of chips are five bucks right now. Can they go back to three bucks? I don't know. Yeah, and there still are bills related to price fixing and antitrust enforcement, both of which would benefit consumers incredibly. Um, And I I would say farmers as well, especially related to antitrust enforcement. And I think Democrats are really leading on that. They've also been the ones who are responsible for showing that so much of what was attributed to inflation was actually just corporations summarily raising their prices in many cases by 50% or more without an actual reason for it and additional research showing that those higher prices weren't translating to better paychecks for the workers. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why we've seen um, the labor movement growing stronger and stronger across the country as well as here in Wisconsin. You know, we had UAW workers striking in Hudson and Milwaukee, and I was with them in Hudson and they were successful. We had folks at Chippewa Falls, the Line and Kugels Brewery, striking the Teamsters Local 662, and I was with them. And I think, you know, in both cases, they were pointing out the, the profits weren't translating into their paychecks and right. an increase in pay, and they were successful. And so um, I think one additional way we can help in Congress, as well as on the state level, is by supporting the right to join a union the right to bargain for wages, better pay and benefits, safety uh, protections and worker uh, protections at the workplace and more. And um, in addition, on the federal level, there's a PRO Act, which would make it easier to organize a union and actually crack down 
on companies that are union busting. And um, I think Starbucks is a great example of that. They, uh, with historic union organizing in coffee shops like Colectivo and Starbucks, we are seeing them spending more time committing unfair labor practices that have been already adjudicated by the National Labor Relations Board. But really the point is they've calculated that it's cheaper for them to crack down on union organizing than it is right. for them to follow it. Well, to it follow might, it might have law, been cheaper, right? but I think people are starting to hear that. And there's like a, did you see the, there's like a Starbucks boycott and they've lost like $11 billion because people are just, I mean, there's so many cop, coffee options. People, I know there's four Starbucks within a block of each other in lacrosse. They're all in the circle of each other, but we could go elsewhere. <laughs> and I think in general, it's like if, if the workers are saying, hey, let us organize for fair pay, let us organize our union, that's their right. And, and the law protects them, but the fines do not coincide with the severity. And so the PRO Act would update that as well and make it make that calculation a little more serious for companies that want to union bust. We just have a minute before we got to go to break. But do you feel like uh, just like changing a minimum wage federally or in the state like should be should be higher because, you know, $15 minimum wage now, that's kind of old news. Like it almost needs to be higher than that. And our state minimum wage is $7.25 right. an hour. And I think at a minimum, we absolutely have to raise the state minimum wage. Yeah, and you go across the river, it's 11 bucks. So even for even for like bartenders and, and food servers, it's it's 11 bucks. The minimum wage is the minimum. It's not $2 in like it is in Wisconsin. In so many ways, our neighbors like Minnesota are eating our lunch. And it's because of the gridlock in Madison related to big issues that people really care about. And um, I take that seriously and think we need stronger leadership on both the state and federal level because if you look at who's responsible for stopping that progress and really pushing against um, wage increases and workers' rights, it's it's Republicans in the legislature and in Congress. Katrina Shanklin is running for the U.S. House of Representatives here in the 3rd District. She's one of four Democrats running to go against probably Derek Van Orden, the Republican in the seat right now, unless there's a Republican challenger. All right, we're going to take one more break. We'll wrap up when we come back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom in the studio. We'll just wrap it up here with Katrina Shanklin. She's a Wisconsin Assembly rep in the Stevens Point area, a Democrat, and she's also running. So she's not going to be that in a year. She's going to what she hopes is be a U.S. House of Representative representative. Uh, she's running in the third congressional district here. Uh, we were talking about like some labor issues and inflation, and um, the the union thing is is one that. I see this all the time. Is is this thing that is it going to catch on with like a lot of dip, uh, more companies or what? Absolutely. Uh, it, recent public polling nationally shows that unions have one of the highest favorability ratings in decades. And in addition, I think more and more people are recognizing that when they stand together with a shared voice, they will win. And there's a lawsuit right now in Wisconsin, right? This could change everything in, in Wisconsin when it comes to unions, right? Absolutely. So a number of unions got together and sued on the grounds of Act 10 being unconstitutional. And I will be following that very closely because I believe strongly that everyone deserves to collectively bargain in their workplace and to take away collective bargaining rights from some public employees and not others, not only is unfair, um, but really robs them of their ability to use their voice in the workplace to negotiate for things like safety protections or, in the case of teachers, class sizes or even equipment that their kids need in the classroom right. to my, learn. My theory when trying to make this political, like this Act 10 thing political, is what if the Supreme Court ruled that police and fire don't also don't get the collective bargaining? And then Act 10 just goes the other way where it takes out 
And then and then you would watch the legislature scramble to to kind of change that, right? I would hope so. I would hope that they would recognize that they'll go the other way. But it's it is a funny like analogy. Yeah, they, to go. you're right, and it shows the hypocrisy, right? They they decided to create that exemption because they felt it would be less politically popular, and instead of scapegoating our public employees by not only Act 10, but withholding pay raises, which is what's happening at UW system campuses across the state right now, including here in La Crosse. We need to be rewarding workers for their hard work and dedication. So I've been really disappointed by my colleagues across the aisle on that issue, but I'm going to keep fighting. And um, I'm really happy to report that I have nine different unions who have endorsed me most recently, UFCW Local 173, but both public and private sector unions were talking about professors as well as firefighters and plumbers and pipe fitters as well as electricians. And I'm really proud to stand with workers every day of the week and will continue doing so, fighting for working families and seniors in Congress. Well, I got a nephew. He's going into student teaching. So you got a student teaching bill there. And I got another nephew that's an apprentice for being an electrician. So Amazing. <laughs> that's what's going on with me. Um, all right. That's Katrina Shanklin. She's uh, best way to, to like bug you. Hey, what like yeah. I want I have a question about your campaign or about what you stand for. How do they do that? Katrina Shanklin for Congress.com. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. Do you and reply to messages on, on those apps? Or does it send you to an email? Yeah. So on Instagram, I actually have been doing my very best to. And same with Facebook. And okay. otherwise, if you go on my website, you'll find ways to contact me there as well. And we'll get back to you. All right. Thanks, Katrina. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, it. everybody, for listening.